This week, I've been thinking about how exciting it is for some of you to be on summer and for the rest of us that we never get a summer uh, again. And, uh, and the reason why I love summer is because I am really good at doing nothing for a while. I can just vacation so hard. I can unplug, I can relax, I can take naps for, I could get a good three weeks of just like napping every single day without being bored. And uh, recently, I have really missed summer because I've just been tired. I've been exhausted. Life is tiring. You could probably relate to this. And I realized one of the reasons why I was so tired, and it wasn't just like physically tired, it's kind of emotionally tired. I just feel drained. And this last Thursday night, we had a young couples event, and it was really fun. Um, I got to meet uh, some, some new folks, and I got to connect with some people. And during the teaching, my parents were teaching it. During the teaching, they asked a question that I thought was a great question. They said, paint the picture of what 80 years old looks like for you, or, or whatever old age, I guess is what they said. But for them, old age has got to be 80 because they're like 60. Anyway, uh, and so they said, paint a picture of what it looks like. And so they painted this picture of them driving off in this old truck and blah, 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 okay, all that stuff. And then they challenged us to sit there for a while with our spouse and to paint what our like, preferred future would look like as retirees or as old people, whatever it may be. And I got really amped on this exercise. And I realized one of the, one of the main uh, reasons why I got excited about this was because it helped me look towards the future. The next day, as I was still thinking about this exercise, I actually brought it to the rest of our staff and we did it as a staff. Uh, I also was watching a leadership talk and this guy was talking about um, what to do when you feel like you've lost motivation. And so if you've ever lost any motivation where you're like, oh, I'm hard charging and then you kind of hit a brick wall and you're like, I'm done, I can't do it anymore. That's kind of what it felt like. And so I watched this talk and he says, one of the reasons why many of us are not motivated is because we are lacking vision. And that's the very thing that got me excited the night before thinking about what could be in the future, what my future could look like, what our family could look like, this preferred vision of the future. And I'd realized that recently I have been lacking vision. And maybe you've been lacking vision. Maybe you've never even had a vision for your life before. And so this week I was studying, getting ready to go jump back into Matthew. And even till today, this morning I got up and I was thinking about Matthew 12. That's where we're going to be at tonight. And then I said, you know what? I just, I need a different message. And so maybe you don't, this doesn't relate to it all, but I, sometimes I'm just talking and because I'm talking to myself and I'm letting you listen. And so this is going to be kind of one of those nights. In fact, I think we're going to make a series out of this because I want to talk about what does it look like to have a vision for your life, something that you are striving towards, that you're getting up and you're thinking about and you are, you're focused on on a daily basis. And so a vision is this, a mental picture of what you want various arenas of your life to look like. So this is a very rough definition I came up with, but it's really a mental picture of your preferred future. And you can do this for anything. You can do this for, here's what I want my finances to look like. Here's what I want my relationships to look like. Here's how I want my kids to turn out. Here's I want uh, our marriage to look like. Here's where I want. And you can uh, come up with a vision of here's what these different arenas look like and here's what they look like in their various stages. So in five years, in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, here is what that arena will look like um, if I can paint the picture and here's what it's going to look like in this time frame. And this is a really important exercise. In fact, it's been an exercise that I have uh, been doing for a number of years, about 10 years now, as I come up with and I revisit a vision for all these different arenas of my life. And I always make sure, am I realigned with the vision? Because here's something interesting that Andy Stanley said. He says this, everyone ends up somewhere in life. Few people end up somewhere on purpose. And so the idea is all of us are going somewhere, right? No one gets to be stagnant. No one just gets to chill in life and hit the pause button. Everybody is moving. 
Now, you get to determine if you're moving in a very specific direction or if you're just kind of floating along in life. But everywhere is going to, everyone's going to end up somewhere, but few people end up there on purpose. And the people who do end up somewhere are the people who have created a vision for their life. They have, they have created a, uh, I like to think of it as a desired destination. And without this, without a vision, oftentimes we will float through life and we'll become aimless or, or lost. And I see so many young people who go through life and they don't really know where they're heading. They don't know where they're going to go. And so they just seem kind of desperate to find answers. They're living a less than life. I've never met anyone who has kind of stumbled through life and just kind of gone, oh, wow, this is incredible where I ended up. No one does that. No one ends up in this great place and they didn't plan to, or at least they didn't aim at something similar. See, the way that the world works, and this is true in physics, and it is true relationally, and it's true emotionally, and it's true of our careers, is if you let things be in life, they will not go to order, but to disorder. That's the universe we live in, is everything is becoming more chaotic unless we are intentional and focused about keeping it aligned. And this is true in the sciences, and it's true in all the other arenas of our life. And so if we just allow life to happen, it will become more disorganized, more uh, chaotic, and will eventually end up in a place in which we would have never picked, we would have never wanted to be. And so let me talk about two types of vision. I think that there's, and this, I kind of just made this up, but this makes sense to me, is there seems to be two types of vision for people's lives. There is a generic vision, and then there's a specific vision, and so the, or a general vision. So the general vision is something, as far as Christians are concerned, in which this is how we, as believers, are supposed to live. This is what it looks like to be great in God's economy, is he lays out in the scriptures, here's what it looks like to be a Christian. Here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so a a huge portion of our vision for our life is really fits into this general category, in which there is a general vision for your life that's the same for everyone who calls themselves a Christian. And if you could summarize it, it would be like this. The general goal or the general vision for a Christian is to become like Jesus, yeah, that's worth private submission right there, huh? That's good stuff. That's theology. Okay, become like Jesus. And in fact, this is what we talk about every single week. Whether we realize it or not, we're talking about what the general vision for us as believers is, where we're heading in life and how we're supposed to get there. That's what we do when we like, have been going through Matthew and we're kind of searching through it, is Jesus is giving us, here's the vision for your life as a believer. Here's what you're supposed to do. And so we learn things like, We're supposed to love God and love people. We're supposed to live a holy and righteous life. We're supposed to submit to God and his plans. We're supposed to live for others and not ourselves. We're supposed to serve. We're supposed to sacrifice. We're supposed to be humble. And so these are all the general principles, the general goals as Christians as a vision for our life. And the way that this plays out is, um, and these are my top five, okay? So some of you guys are not in these categories yet, but you probably will be. So here are my top five things as a Christian of where I'm heading. And these are not specific to me. These are for everybody. First one is I'm obviously supposed to love God. And so he's supposed to be the center of my life. And all the time, I'm allowing things to creep in to become the center of my life. And it's a constant battle of, okay, no, the vision is that I am supposed to make this, him, my relationship with Christ, the priority. And so it's a constant shifting of priorities to make sure that he's at the center. The second thing is my wife, is I'm supposed to have a healthy marriage. And the scripture says that I'm supposed to love my spouse as Christ loved the church. And so I've got to continue to make her my second thing in life, all right? So God is first, and then my wife is going to be second. Now, some of you guys, uh, probably a large majority, aren't married yet. 
But here is the great thing about that, is right now you can prepare for your marriage even if you have no clue who you're going to marry. In fact, this is the best time to prepare for marriage because think about this. What, if you, if you think about sports or t- teams, who are the teams that do the best, that win on game day? The people who are prepared, the people who are going, you know what, I'm not going to wait till like they blow the whistle and the game starts and we're going to go, okay, now we're going to figure this out. No, 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 no. It's the people who have been thinking about this, preparing for this, saying, okay, we need to get ready for game day. Same thing is true of a marriage. If you want to have a great marriage, you've got to be prepping now. Even if you don't know who that person is going to be, you've got to prepare because this is a lifelong thing that you're getting ready for. And so single people, prepare today. Okay, number three. This is actually a lot like the number two thing, is raising kids who love the Lord, um, as well as loving and serving your extended family. And so, you know, most of us don't have kids in here, but it's the same principle, is you don't begin parenting when you have kids. You have to become the person who can be a great parent before you have children. You don't just one day go, wow, they just came out of the womb and I'm different. This is crazy, right? I'm a better person all of a sudden. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. What happens is you become that person and so you're prepared for when those children enter into the world. Okay, number four, be committed to building up the church. Every believer is called to be here, to be a part of what we're doing here, uh, to be um, giving their time and their money to making this one of their top priorities in life because what the church is described as in the scriptures is a family. And family is a priority. And so we're supposed to uh, both serve and be a part of this church family. And then number five, to bring the message of Christ to everyone around you. And that's about making Jesus famous. That's about telling everybody that you know about what he's done for you and what he's done for the world and what he could do for them. And so these are my top five. And I think that for most Christians, these are probably going to be the top five. You may, may or may not have one or two if you stay single or you don't have kids or whatever, but For the majority of us, this is our general vision for our life of who we're supposed to be. But there's this other part, which is the specific vision. And the specific vision is that you were created for a specific purpose that God gave you before you were even born, that he was preparing in advance for you to do. And so this actually, um, this is interesting to me because we hear conflicting messages within our society. Within our society, we hear that we are the product of blind process called evolution, and we are just these molecules in motion, and and so there really is no ultimate purpose for us, and yet we are told all the time that you are supposed to go and pursue and fulfill your dreams, and and I hear this even from secular people. They, They say, you're calling. I was meeting with a guy recently, and he was very, he's a very secular guy. I, I'm not sure if he's an atheist or not, but I, I think he's an atheist. And we were talking about why I went into ministry instead of staying in business, which I was doing in my 20s. And he said, oh, well, you were called to it. And I thought, what an interesting, who was doing the calling? Because he doesn't believe in God. And yet he believes that I was called to something. So who was calling me into this? And yet he still uses that verbiage. There's still this, this purpose that he sees in the universe that each of us have a specific calling on our life. And I found that very fascinating. We can't get away from it. Even when we run from God, we can't run away from this feeling that we're called to something specific, each one of us individually, that we're not just random, we're not an accident, but that we're some reason why we're here. And so each one of us, according to Ephesians 2, are made for a purpose, that God made us individually for something. It says, as for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is actually one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it talks about 
not only are you not an accident, even if your parents weren't expecting you, um, surprise, but that God knew that you were going to not only exist, but he planned on it, and that he planned and planted in you specific things and gifts that you are going to be able to use in order to fulfill a purpose that he has for you. That is, that's pretty exciting to me. And so God created something for all of us to do. And it's not just like a random thing. No, no, no. He had in mind, before you were even um, a, 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 a what, are, what is it? What am I thinking? What's the word I'm thinking of? I want to hear what word you're thinking of. Spe- spri- oh, spe- twinkle. Twinkle. <laughs> twinkle in your mother's eye. That's right. God bless you. Okay. Here's my favorite illustration of this is, uh, you guys are still discussing it, if it's twinkle or not. That's fine. You get it. Uh, coloring book versus blank canvas. For me, this makes total sense. And so at some point, you're probably going to annoyed if you hear this very often, but this makes total sense to me is we are told that life is a blank canvas. Go and paint whatever picture for your life that you want, right? Go out there and do the, you know, you put your mind to it. You can do it. You can become it. You can achieve it. And so you go out there and, you know, make the life that you want. And that is such a stupid idea. It is so dumb. Because guess what? Even if I wanted to be in the NBA right now, it's never going to happen. It's just, it's not going to happen. I have limitations on my life. What makes much more sense, uh, practically and as a Christian, is life is much more like a coloring book. That God has laid out this life for you. He has this design, and our job is to just simply go in and fill in all the details. Our job is just to be a good steward of what he has laid out for us. And with his help, we make a beautiful picture. And see, that makes a lot more sense to me, is we are called to go and to pursue what God has already uh, laid out for us. So I want to revisit the story for the next couple weeks. And today, we're just going to uh, get the first part of it. I haven't talked about the story in a number of years, and it just felt like today I needed to revisit it. So it's the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, and um, if, you, if you're not a Bible reader, it's an easy book of the Bible. It's really short. You can read the whole thing probably tonight, and it's, an, it's a very practical and historical event. So here's the deal. Is it was written about 400 years after David and Solomon, about 445 B.C., and what was taking place was Israel was being punished because of their rebellion. And so if you don't know anything about the Old Testament, here is the whole thing summarized. Um, God chooses Israel to be his people. They follow him. When they follow him, good things happen, but they continue to rebel against him. So God warns them. Then when they don't listen to the warning, he punishes them. And then they crawl back to God saying, our bad. Okay. That's the old Testament right there. You just got a degree. All right. So about 586 BC, 140 years before Nehemiah, and this is just going to give you the context, Jerusalem was attacked and destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire, uh, army. And so they come in, and this is actually God's hand at work. He's punishing Israel. They come in, and they just tear Jerusalem apart. They tear down the walls. They burn a bunch of the buildings, and then they take everybody off to captivity. And they actually find themselves in Babylon for about 70 years. And later on, um, as they're captives in Babylon, the Persian army comes, attacks Babylon, takes over, and so now the Jewish people are captives of the Persians. They're slaves, is really what you need to know about the story. And what happens is, when, when this transition takes place, some of the Jews are allowed to go back to Jerusalem, but they're not allowed to rebuild it. They've got to just go 
They can go back to their homeland, but they're still under the rule of the Persians. And then some people, because they had been there for so long, 70 years, they didn't go back to Jerusalem because they'd never been there before. So some of the Jews stayed in captivity um, where they had jobs and they were able to live lives and things like that. And it's all they ever knew. And then some people went back. And Nehemiah, the main character of the story, was one of the Jews who was still remaining. And he was what's called the cupbearer to the king. And the deal is, it's kind of like secret service in which he's going to take a bullet for the king, but what happened back then is the king might have gotten poisoned, was more likely, and so he would drink it first and go, I'm alive, you can drink it. Okay, so that was his job. But it was, a, it was actually a high-ranking job. They tr- he had to be highly trusted because really the king's uh, life was in his hands. And so here's what happens. One day, Nehemiah's brother comes back from Jerusalem, and Nehemiah goes, hey, what's going on in Jerusalem? What's the state of the, of the city look like? As a Jew, he was going to be very interested in this, and here's what happens. Nehemiah 1.3, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. So he hears this, and although he may not have even ever been to Jerusalem before, as a Jew, this is devastating because Jerusalem and these people were supposed to be God's chosen people, and this is supposed to be the promised land, and that God had not only um, let them be uh, taken into captivity, but the city burned as well. This is a, a, a devastating revelation for him. Verse four, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For seven days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, here's where we start getting a vision. Is a vision starts to emerge within Nehemiah because he has two things. One, he has a burden, the state of Jerusalem, and a passion to see something take place, to see this city be restored. And this is really the beginning for anyone's vision. And so if we're looking for a vision for our own life, we're trying to figure out what exactly am I supposed to do, like the specific vision I think Nehemiah will be the example that we can look at. And he says, look to our burdens and our passions. And so our burdens are things like when we look out in the world and we see the situation that's happening, we just think this, this should not be like this. Or the, the converse of this would be something like, what if we could make the world or we could make this situation or we could make this place look like this? One of the stories that was great that we heard at main campus and we we're actually going to be featuring pretty soon and giving you guys an opportunity to um, serve is Project 54 in which one of our fellow seacoasters, he saw what was happening on Skid Row and he said, oh, this just shouldn't be like this. These people shouldn't have to live like this. They shouldn't be hopeless. I, I need to be able to do something. See, that's, that's a burden that begins to fester in your heart. Oftentimes, the burdens will come from our own personal background or our hurts, our mistakes or our experiences, and we will have something unique that has happened to us or that we've seen or that we have experienced and that will begin to burden us. And I know lots of people who have had physical challenges or have you know, overcome addiction or they've experienced something, and oftentimes that is the launching point for the vision for their life that they've experienced something that's unique to them or that only a small group of people have experienced. And so they say, you know what? Um, I don't want this, this experience to go to waste. I want to use this. And it becomes a burden that's a launching point. We also have to look at what our passions are. Uh, the question that I ask myself is, what would I do um, if I didn't have to worry about money? And you've probably heard that question before, right? Is If money was not an issue, right now I handed you $50 million and you're like, 
Sweet. I don't have to work another day in my life. I don't have to worry about a paycheck. I'm good. After you've vacationed and you've bought your Lamborghini and all that kind of stuff, then what? All right? So you're eventually going to get bored and you're going to have to figure out what am I going to do every day of my life? Whatever your answer to that thing is, whatever like you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to fulfilling this. That's a indi- good indication of what your passion is, is I would do this even if I weren't getting paid for it. The other thing to help hone in on the specific vision for our lives is we have to look at the gifts and resources and opportunities that we've been given. And so um, I have wrestled for quite a number of years theologically with this idea. And it's biblical. I just don't know to what extent I can take it. And the idea is this, that God has placed us in a specific time and location with opportunities and gifts. And that's how we can figure out what we're supposed to do with our life. So I use the story of Esther. Esther, famous line in the story is that God put her there for such a time as this. And I think that one of the ways that we can figure out what we're supposed to do, like what God is calling us to do, is to just simply look around and see where he has put us. So for me, when I was wrestling with trying to figure out, do I become a pastor or do I continue on in business? I started to look around, and there's a passage in Acts that talks about how God has placed us in in, uh, specific times and places so that we are not far from him. So I started to think, okay, if this is true, that God has placed me in a specific time today, and this specific place in Cyprus and Los Alamitos, and he has given me the family that he has, so my dad's a pastor, my grandpa, 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 all these people have been pastors, and, he, and I get the opportunity to be a pastor at a church. And so I'm looking at all these different opportunities and resources, and then, I, yeah, I'm like, I'm sort of into it. Like, I'm not super awkward. I can have somewhat social skills. I can talk publicly, and at least I'm not afraid. I embarrass myself a lot, but that's a different story. So, and I started looking at all these things, and here's the conclusion I came to. Because, I'll be honest, I never had the super overwhelming, strong, emotional feeling that I was supposed to do something. I'm not an emotional dude. I know that's hard to believe, but I'm not. Is my dad, or maybe someone that you know, they've just said, you know, I knew this was supposed to be. I was called to do this, and they're passionate, and oh, I get teary-eyed and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's, a, oh, that's embarrassing. Uh, but there's something in the way they're just, they're, I never have that. I've never felt like that at really anything in my life. And so I started to look around and go, okay, God, I don't think I'm going to have this big emotional response to what I'm supposed to do. So what have you gifted me with? What have you put me with? And I began to look around and all the pointers began to point to, you should do ministry, Cody. You should do ministry. You should do ministry. And I said, okay, it's either the craziest coincidence that God, or that I have found myself in this situation, or God was trying to go, hey, that's what you should do. You should do ministry. And so that's the conclusion that I came to. So as you look at your own life and you try to figure out, man, what am I supposed to do? Well, let's look at the time and place and relationships and gifts and opportunities that you have. And if God were trying to communicate to you through those, what would he be saying? See, that's really what I find my, uh, I guess my, my confidence in is that God is communicating to me through my circumstances, through where he's placed me. Our burden and passion um, is not just individual, but it also is true as a community. And so we started this uh, kind of experiment of a young adults group uh, a number of years ago because, well, because some people said, we're going, we're graduating high school as a high school pastor, we're graduating, oh, where do we go next? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> Good luck to you though, you know, like not my house, but then they came to my house and then they started hanging out at my house. And uh, we started to have a Bible study and it kind of progressed into this. 
And as a community, it began, began to come clear through conversations and, and our own dispositions that um, we have specific things that we believe that we are called to. And I think that this tension is found in the scriptures all over the place that we're called to both truth and love, both as, as individuals and as a community. And so we know that there are certain things that we are going to pursue, one of which is we're going to make Jesus known and bring people into a relationship with him, because we have this theological belief that everybody ends up somewhere, eternally, that this life is just the beginning. It's an entrance into something after this. And where you stand with Jesus is going to determine where you end up going. And so because we have that burden, we also have the passion to let people know that there is this guy named Jesus who died for you, and not only will he give you this entrance into eternity, but he will actually fix what's broken now. He is the ultimate answer to what you're looking for. We also have the belief that we're supposed to be a family, and uh, we're supposed to do life together here. If we look at what the scripture describes as the spiritual walk that all of us are on, it's much more of a battle. And if we're in a battle, we need an army. We need some people to be surrounded by, uh, with, and we need to be able to fight together because life is going to throw some stuff at us that we're not expecting. We were never meant to do it alone. And so one of our beliefs is we're supposed to be a family here. The other is that we are supposed to bring hope and healing to a broken world. As everybody knows, the world's screwed up. The news makes lots and lots of money on it. It's telling us how screwed up it is and, and making us afraid. And we go, okay, yeah, we get that, but nobody has a solution. Nobody has a valid solution for what, and we go, no, no, we have the solution. Because Jesus came and he said that he was the solution. And so our job is to bring hope and healing to the world. And then, of course, we want to challenge people to think differently and to live differently. And so for us, most of us, um, I would say a high percentage of us, we don't quite have a clear vision of where we're supposed to go. And I'll be honest, I don't have like an exact vision of what I'm supposed to do. I think I have indicators, but I'm not exactly sure. So let me give you three things that we can learn from Nehemiah that will give us a better direction on how to discover God's specific vision for our life. Three things is seek God, work hard, and look for opportunities. So the first thing that Nehemiah does is he goes and he prays and he fasts. He says, God, you created me. You know me best. You put me in this specific time and place. And I, I have an indication, or maybe I have no idea what I'm supposed to do, but I want you to reveal to me who I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do, who I'm supposed to marry. All of these big questions that we have. You know, God's not afraid of the questions. He knows the answers. He's just asking, do you want to know the answers? And one of the things that I think it's a good indicator of how badly we want to find the answers to these big questions is how intense we are in seeking him and also how long we're willing to, to push forward. So we are extremely impatient. We have grown up with instant everything, right? When we get bored, what do we do? Yes, I eat. Thank God. Yes, I do eat. Oh. Yes, I do. You have not been bored for more than 10 seconds in years. You know why? You're just, oh, look at that. Oh, okay. Uh, even when you're talking to people, it's still this, right? It's because we have instant everything. We're never bored. We have instant food. We have instant messaging. <laughs> instant messaging, I remember that. I, um, did anybody have those with the way messages? Like, oh, I, that's how, okay, so this is so random, but it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. That's how Amy and I, uh, ended up kind of getting romantic, was on IM. I don't know if that's weird or not. Um, not like that, ew. Uh, we were both in Bible school, okay? And 
I don't remember, I, I wasn't into texting yet, I guess. This is how long ago it was. I wasn't really into texting yet. And so the first, I think, few times that we hung out, I said, hey, here's my instant message. Like, hit me up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's embarrassing. Woo. But we're married now. It was a good time. It was a good time. She had this hardcore hat on. You should ask her about it. It's pretty funny when hardcore was... Eh, we were both... Uh, we were rough. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, seeking God. Okay, so here's what this looks like. And uh, this has become a prayer of mine, is every day I go, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I really don't. Like, for the most part, I, I suck at this. I'm not very good at following you. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure my faith is pretty weak. Uh, I'm pissed Amy off again today. You know, I think I'm screwing up these kids. You know, I just like, oh, and I'm going, God, I just need you to guide me. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And it's just coming in. It's just every day going, just show me what I'm supposed to do. Show me what I'm supposed to do. Who am I supposed to become? And whatever the, whatever the answer is to the questions of where I'm supposed to go and who I'm supposed to, the answer will be yes. Just show me. And sometimes it takes a really long time. For me, it took five years of praying that every single day to figure out, am I supposed to do ministry or am I supposed to do something else? Five years, every single day. God, where are you? It could take the rest of your life for some of these things. And God just goes, well, how bad do you want to know? Are you willing to put in the time and the effort? Are you willing to ask me? Are you willing to spend time with me? Because what happens is, as we do that, we begin to align our will with his will. And sometimes he's just waiting for us to align. He's going, you know, you keep saying that, but you don't mean it yet. So we're going to have to go a little bit longer. You have to wait a little bit longer. Now, let's pull back and look at the big picture. God, the way that God oftentimes works is he guides us, especially our careers, through um, opportunities, not miracles. So a lot of us are looking for a job or we're starting to begin our career or whatever. And one of the things that we do is we pray, God, please allow me to have like my dream job. And then we think something mystical is going to happen. And then the CEO is going to call you and go, you know, I saw your post recently. Very insightful. Why don't you come work for me? No, like it's nothing magical like that's going to happen. What, what happens is God generally will guide us through whatever our current employment or our current circumstances are. So even if we're in school or we have some job that we're not super stoked on or whatever it is, God will work through the current circumstances that you find yourself in to set you up for your future circumstances. And so I kind of think of it like this, is we are kind of playing a giant game of connect the dots. And we are not far enough back to be able to see the picture yet. We're just standing on each dot. And then God goes, go to that dot over there. And we're like, seriously? I thought there's nothing over there. You know, he's like, no, no, seriously, go to that dot over there. And we like walk to the next dot and we're like, this is like the last dot, you know, and we're just trying to figure out, well, God, where are you trying to take me to? And eventually through a series of these uh, connect the dots, we kind of pull back and we get to see, oh, that's what you were doing. I get it now. You were doing this giant connect the dots with my life and I couldn't see it. I wasn't big enough to be able to see your perspective, but it made sense because now all of the things looking back retroactively, I can see why all of those things had to happen, why all of those dots had to be connected in order for, for me to be where I am right now. And so let me give you kind of an example of this in my own life is uh, 10 years ago, I went into ministry as a junior high pastor and I... I was for many years going, what the frick am I doing here? They smell 
They're loud. The first time that I ever, some of you guys were my junior hires. Uh, first, I remember the first service that I went into, I'm like feeling, oh yeah, I got this, whatever. There's a kid in the front row. He belched so loud. And then he had a thing of popcorn and he just went, oh, just sprinkled it on his head. And I went, that's why I went to school. Thank you. Good. Uh, perfect. Anyway, you guys are dismayed. You know, we're done. And it was like that for years. I'm going, God, what are you trying to teach me? Why am I here? I feel like I'm on this island with a bunch of junior hires. It's like, Lord of the flies, get me out of here. <laughs> and eventually, looking back, I realized, oh, I get it now. I had to learn a lot of stuff. And, and this is still how I look at today is I had to learn a lot of stuff, man. I had to learn how to public speak. If you can keep a junior hire's attention, you can keep anyone's attention. So I got to learn how to speak. I got to learn how to build teams. I got to be able to get volunteers. I got to learn how to run Bibles. I had a ton to learn, things that I never knew at the time. But looking back, God was preparing me. He was saying, no, 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 there's a lot of work that has to be done here. You want to be this guy, but you need to start here because there's a ton that you need to learn here first. And so each step along the way, I think God prepares us for what ultimately he has if we're faithful, if we don't bail out on the process. And guys, I got to be honest, it is so hard not to bail on. We just want the easy button, right? We want the easy button where we're like, you know what? Just give me that job now. Give me the career. Give me the, what, give me the relationship. Give me the opportunity. I want it now. And God is going, no, 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 you can't, you can't rush the process. You can't rush the process. You have a lot of steps between here and there that you don't even know that you need yet. But one day, if you're faithful, if you keep pushing forward, it will make sense. So Nehemiah, as he uh, is figuring out this burden, passion, vision that he has, one of the reasons why he was given this opportunity was because he worked really hard. He was an extremely hard worker, and he was trustworthy, He was given, and we'll find out later in the story, an incredible opportunity because he worked really hard, and so he was a good steward with what he had, and so God provided another opportunity for him. So recently, I was at at a restaurant. I won't name the restaurant, but it was the worst customer service I've ever had in my life, okay? And what happened was I ordered a meal, and this lady, she brought out my meal, and I eat out twice a day, and... (laughs) I'm a, I'm a connoisseur. <laughs> uh, and so she brings the meal to our table. There's, it's my whole family is there. And she hands it to me, and I'm like, hey, this isn't what I ordered. No big deal. You know, this happens. And she goes, yes, it is. <laughs> okay, uh, sure. And then she just walks away. And I'm like, all right, this is going to get crazy. Uh, so she comes back over, and I go, hey, I ordered. And I say what the, the thing was on the menu. And she goes, yeah, I know. That's what that is. And she goes, and then she just walks away again. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to fight this lady right now. And so she comes back a third time and I'm just going like, Lord, give me peace, you know, like help me not to be angry. And so then she comes back over and it was the most bizarre, everyone at my table is going, oh, like, oh, it's gonna be a fight. You know, they're just thinking we're gonna. And so she comes over and I go, look, uh, you see what I ordered here? We both agree that I ordered that, right? Okay, now let me read it to you. Uh, it says right here that I'm, it's supposed to have eggs. Do you see eggs? No? Okay, no eggs. Um, this has gravy. Do you see gravy on here anywhere? No gravy. Okay. Uh, and I went through the whole thing, and she's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then she, like, takes it and walks away. And I'm thinking, that's right. <laughs> that's right. What's up, then? That's right. But here's what I've realized recently, because I am a connoisseur of, of restaurants, 
not classy ones, just restaurants, <laughs> is, and again, this is nothing, it, uh, hopefully this is not true of anyone in this room, but I have gotten used to uh, service from waiters and waitresses, receptionists, baristas, pretty much any job that is right around minimum wage for it to be done mm, halfway, all right? And here's, here's the attitude that I get, is this is not the job I want, so I'm really not even going to try it right now. And oh yeah, by the way, screw you. That's like pretty much like what the, what the attitude is for many people. Now, again, that's not true of everybody, I, but it's this entitlement that I've realized recently, that we believe we deserve our dream job, and so it's not our dream job, and so, um, I swear it's going to get better, I promise. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so it's, not, so it's not our... Lord. <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, you're not getting coffee from me. So <laughs> forget you. Uh, anyway, okay. <laughs> he doesn't even know. Okay. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> what was I saying? Uh, I was about to read the Bible. I think. Okay, let's go there. Here's what it says in Colossians 3.23. Paul says this about all of us who don't have the, maybe the job that we want. He says this. He says, whatever you do, so it's whatever your job is, wherever you find yourself in life, whatever, you, you don't like your car because you want a better car, you want a better house, you want a better job, whatever it is, wherever you find yourself or wherever um, you're doing, work at it with all your heart. Literally, he says, put your heart into it. And... All of us, sometimes myself included, want to go, well, time out. Um, you've never met my boss before. You don't know my manager. You don't know the crappy pay that I have and the hours that I have to work. And I understand what Paul is saying here, but Paul doesn't know what I've got going on in my life. Let me just give you a little context, okay? Paul, in the first century, when he's talking to people about their jobs, um, no one liked their job. Pretty much no one. In fact, a lot of people were unemployed, and so if they had a job, they were just stoked to be able to work. And if you go to any third world country right now, this is how a majority of the people in the world live, is they are stoked to go out and do anything. Why? Because they just want a job. The fact that they could be upset about the specific job is kind of like, what? What are you talking about? Because we have, and this is actually uh, an opportunity that we have, is we have the opportunity to complain about our jobs because we have a choice of the job that we want. And we get to pursue different kinds of jobs, and we can really work our way up whatever ladder that we want to. And so because we in the Western society are so fortunate, we begin to complain about the jobs that we have. But Paul says, <laughs> okay, whatever, no matter how much you hate your work or what, whatever you may feel about it, it says this, ask, uh, work as if you're working for the Lord, not for a human master. So master, in this context, think about for us, that would be a boss, a manager, an employer. It says, don't act like you're working for them. If you're going in every day and you're working and you're trying to please them or it's all about based on their attitude, you're never going to be happy. But if you're working as if your job is a, a gift from the Lord that you get to be a steward of, it's going to bring a new dimension into your work. And he says, I want you to work at it as if you were working for God, that he was your employer, because ultimately he is. And so when the day isn't going so well or when you're not really stoked on your job, you go, but you know what? My boss is awesome. 
And so I'm going to work hard for him today because I want to be a good steward of the opportunity that he's given me. And he says this, he says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Now, this is kind of crazy. He says, if you work hard and you show up and you're diligent and you continue to push forward, even when you don't like what you're doing, he's going to reward you. Now, what does this reward look like? I don't know. Is it, is it uh, an eternal reward? Yes. Is it a, a, a reward here on earth? Yeah, probably as well. But he says, if you go in and you work hard every single day, there's going to be both eternal ramifications and there's going to be new opportunities that are given to you because you have been a good steward. So ultimately what he's saying here is he says, if you seek me through prayer every single day, you go, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? The answer is going to be yes. You just show me. Open the door. I'm going to go through it. Whatever you want. If you do that and you work as if you're working for him, that it's not your boss, your manager, your employer, but you're working ultimately for him, then he will bring you opportunities that you get to partner with him in what he's doing in the world. And this makes total sense. And so let me ask just a few follow-up questions. And if you're in this, this place, maybe you can do some self-evaluation. Based on your current performance, would you trust you with a better opportunity? So if you're looking at your work ethic and you're looking at how you do it, your job, whether you like it or not, uh, as you're looking at that, would you give you, knowing everything that you know about you, you know, and your attitude and how you go on Facebook 20 times a day and you watch YouTube videos when everybody thinks you're working, and would you, would you give yourself a raise? Would you give yourself a better opportunity? And Luke 16, 10, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be honest, dishonest with much. So uh, kind of the interpretation from the book of Cody would be something like, if you suck at your minimum wage job, you're going to suck at all your jobs. Ooh, hey, yo, okay, that got real. Um, second question. Are you preparing for the next opportunity or are you just simply waiting for it? And so as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people have the attitude that this work is beneath me this is not the job that I deserve, that I'm entitled to, and so I'm not even going to try. Or do you have the, uh, do you have the uh, mindset that you're going to take full advantage of every opportunity that comes your way? You're going to say, God, you have placed me here. You want me to learn something. You're probably going to uh, create an opportunity through this, and so I'm going to give it 100%, even when it doesn't make sense. And then the next question is, what can you begin doing where you are now to prepare for your next opportunity. And so what is it that you don't know that you need to know? What are the skills that you need to acquire? What are the things that you need to pursue? So you, if you have this vision for who you're supposed to be, what are the things that you don't have yet that you need to get in order to get there? So is it an internship? Is it going back to school? Is it going to, so for me, I've realized recently that there are some management and some leadership stuff that I'm very much lacking. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to pursue where to find those things. And it might be a conference, it might be a class, it might be something like that. But what are the things that I can help prepare myself for if God says, you know what, I'm going to put this opportunity in your life. I'm going to give you this right now, and I want you to be a good steward of it, and I know that you will be because you have prepared for it. Uh, is there an opportunity where you are now at that you are ignoring because the income doesn't match the workload? So you think, okay, look, it's like two bucks more an hour, but it's twice the work. I'm not down for that. I want to go hang out with my friends and play video games. Okay. 
So you've got to realize that God may have put an opportunity in your path, but you're just unwilling to take it because you don't think it's enough money. You don't think it's worth your effort. But see, we've got to remember as we look back, Jesus was a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker. <laughs> they probably had some pretty serious things on their mind and some stuff that they needed to be able to do, and yet they did the jobs that were put in front of them, and they were good stewards of it. And obviously, uh, God rewarded them. And so uh, I think ultimately we are called to fully engage with whatever opportunity we have in front of us, whether that's to do great in school, whether that's to make our dead-end job uh, awesome and work hard at it, whether it's to pursue the career that we're in and we're just beginning and we're working, whatever it is, we're supposed to work like we're working for the Lord. And so some of us, um, we are trying to discover what that is. And through the series, I want to talk more about this vision, but there's a whole another group of us in here. And this group is, we have a good a good idea of who we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to go, but we're just, we're not quite there yet. We're not sure. Maybe it's that um, we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't know how to start, or maybe it's that we have started, but it's not going as planned. There's been some obstacles along the way. Maybe it's we're in our career and we're starting to push forward, but we're trying to navigate some different situations. And what's great about Nehemiah is we kind of dig through the next few weeks about how he dealt with his vision and his calling and, and overcame obstacles is we can apply these directly to our own situations. And so let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll have some churros con chocolate. Okay. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for how good you are to us. Um, we thank you for just the opportunity to be able to work and to uh, be partners with you in, in creating a world that is um, full of hope and that is healing. And whatever context you may put us in, whether whatever capacity, and even if it doesn't make sense to us in the moment, uh, that we would be good stewards of every opportunity that you have given us. And so, Lord God, I thank you for this, for this church, for this family, and um, I just pray that you would bless us in here. Uh, not just with great jobs, but with great relationships, and um, that we would be people who would be honoring to you. Let me pray. Amen.